Good morning. Merry Christmas. How are you? Great. Um, it is the most wonderful time of year, right? Most stressful time of year. That's what it is. I think that's what it actually, <clears throat> what it actually is. Um, my name's R.D., and I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and I, uh, last time that I, I talked, uh, I felt like I had a pretty good message, and um, I had three different people come up to me after and uh, say that, uh, and I quote, I have a bone to pick with you, and I thought, oh no, what have I said? So, what did I, the spirit make me say something, who knows what happened, and uh, they were like, you did not show a picture of your girls, and I was like... <laughs> I was like, okay, well, I've created this self-fulfilling monster, and so in the spirit of Christmas, the only thing to do is to keep feeding the monster, because that's what Christmas is all about. So uh, I thought I'd show you a picture of the girls and their... So that is them, and Camille on the right is looking like a Jedi warrior, because her hair is up, and she's looking like she's going into battle, which she is every day with her mother. So, and then Maisie's on the left, always smiling, doesn't even matter, just trees, inanimate objects, it just... She's smiling. So anyway, that's them. They'll be a year on uh, January 1st. They're born New Year's Day. And so my wife and I <clears throat> um, made it through the, the first year. And even though I don't remember the first four months of their lives, I just, I block it out. The Lord has in his grace allowed me to not remember any of that. So only the past eight months of my life do I have any memories of anything that happened, right? And the first four months were unbelievable chaos. And the last year has been complete chaos. If you have kids, raising kids, twins, just one, multiple kids, uh, all kinds of chaos. And and whether you were raising twins or not raising twins, uh, I would bet that at some point in 2014, the, the word chaos or the idea chaos was a part of your life or part of your vocabulary, right? Um, chaos in your heart, chaos in your family, certainly chaos in the world, much chaos in the world. Feels like 2014 was the most chaotic um, year in a long time. I saw last night two uh, New York City police officers were gunned down in their car in New York City, right, and blowing up on Twitter and Facebook, and what does this mean for what's happened before, what's happening now, and then there's people being to really think about 2014. You know, I thought we, we were making all this progress as people. And then all this violence is just breaking out, and so there's chaos in the world, there's chaos in our country, and there's chaos. I know if everyone could just stand up and talk about their year, there's chaos. And there's going to be chaos in 2015, and that's just a part of it. And Christmas, what does Christmas do? Does it bring down the chaos? (laughs) No, right? It ratchets it up the chaos and says more chaos is better. More gifts, more presents, Christmas parties, not getting invited to Christmas parties, getting presents, not getting presents, right? There's just so many things that just add to the chaos of, of Christmas that just makes this, the end of the year, actually really, really stressful. But the good news is that Jesus the Christ brings calm into the midst of our chaos. In Luke chapter 8, we're going to look at Jesus who is going to bring calm into the chaos through four different miracles that he performs. Four different miracles that he performs. And what he did here in the Gospel of Luke, I think, for the people in the first century, needs to apply to us just as much now in our century. And so just as we kick off here, you can open up to Luke chapter 1. This will be on the screen if you have the Bible on your phone, wherever you have it. Uh, Just to remind us of who Luke is writing to and why he's writing. So if you're new, if you're catching up with us, uh, this is Luke chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Luke 1, 3 and 4. It'll be on the screen as well. Luke writes, With this in mind, 
Since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. So there it is. We just keep going back to this because this is, in a sense, the purpose statement of the book. Luke is writing to a man named Theophilus, someone who's probably a believer in Jesus, but not exactly certain about who Jesus was or what the message of Jesus was. And so as you think through the rest of Luke and all of the stories that Luke is writing, he's going back to this man named Theophilus and to the first century hearers, and yes, to us as well, to get us to understand who the man Jesus was and what his message and his mission was was. Well, what, what was the message and the mission of Jesus to sum it up really quickly? Well, flip in your Bible again to Luke chapter 4. This will be also be on the screen. Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. We talked about this about a month ago, and I just want to loop back around to it again, because I, I think these words here are the kingdom-bringing words of Jesus that set the stage for the rest of what happens in the gospel of Luke. So this is the message. Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. This is Jesus speaking. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So here we have Luke has written to Theophilus about who Jesus is. Here is the message of Jesus, that good news is preached to the poor, that those who are blind will see, those who are sick will be healed, that the kingdom has been come right into the middle of the present, right? The spring has come right into the middle of winter. That's what's happening in the life of Jesus Christ, and he's inviting all of us to be a part of it. Okay, last time, I promise you guys have to flip. It's Luke chapter 8, and that's our text. And this will not be on the screen, so you'll want to actually find this one. Luke chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 22. And we're going to look at four miracles here. This first one is pretty famous. Miracle number one. And this is what, just so you remember, so I can remember. Miracle number one shows us a man, Jesus, with power over the storm. And power in the storm. Miracle number one shows us a man with power over the storm and power in the storm. Okay, Jesus bringing calm in a chaos miracle. Number one, verses 22 to 25. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the lake on the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, Jesus fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was in danger of being swamped. And they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked the disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Okay, miracle number one. We have two questions here. Uh, Jesus asked the disciples, where is your faith? And the disciples then asked each other, who is this? Uh, literally, they're asking, uh, who is this man? What type of man is this who, who can calm creation, who can calm the waters? And so the title of the message is, what man is this? Kind of a takeoff of what child is this in honor of Christmas. What man is this? What, what type of man is this who can calm the ways? The disciples would know Psalm 107, which talks about that there's only one being who can calm creation, and that's God. 
And Psalm 107 talks about Yahweh, the creator God, who calms the waves, who, who calms the water and allows a ship to get to its safe haven. Right? Genesis chapter 1, in the chaos that exists in creation, and then God brings calm into the chaos by creating days, by separating land from the water, night from day. God in the beginning bringing calm into chaos, Genesis chapter 1. And so the disciples are thinking, this is not an ordinary man who can calm the waters, who can calm the storm. There's only, in our understanding, there's only one even being who can do that. And so the disciples, you know, sometimes I think we just assume that they knew Jesus was God all along. But you think, would, do you think you would know that? Like, even if someone said it to you, do you think you'd still kind of be like, I don't know. <laughs> that just seems like a lot. <laughs> that seems like a lot. And so they're hanging out with Jesus, and yet it's still kind of a mystery. And so they're looking at each other like, who is this? And so to illustrate it, I, I found a painting by Rembrandt uh, that I, I want to show you. It's called Christ in the Storm on the Sea of Galilee. And it's, it's a dramatic picture, but I think it gives you a visual of what would have happened, right? They're not in a yacht, okay? They're not in a cruise ship. They're in a, they're in a boat. And I've been in a boat on the Sea of Galilee that was very much like the boats that they were in. And it was a nice, peaceful day, which is great. But storms can easily come on the Sea of Galilee. And so here we have just the, the drama and what would be just the fear the disciples would have because they say, we're going to die. We think we're going to die. That's how bad the storm is. And so there are 12 disciples and then Jesus, so there are 13 people in the boat, supposedly. But in the painting here, there are actually 14 people. You can't quite see them all, but I promise you, they're there. They're 14. And what many people think is that Rembrandt, who's kind of in the green there at the very front of the ship, that Rembrandt himself painted himself into the painting, right? That he kind of wrote himself into the story of the ship on the storm. Why? Well, because the story is not just about the disciples a long time ago. What a wonderful story, <laughs> It's about a God who's in the storm of all of our lives and in the world. It's about hanging on to Jesus in the midst of the storm. And so he painted himself into this painting and said, put put me in the boat with Jesus. (laughs) That's the boat I want to be in when the storm comes. And so this is just an image of, of the fear and the terror of that. And so in this story, though, we have, we have a God who in Jesus is not really asleep. The disciples, right, he is, he's technically sleeping, but in the great picture of things, he's not actually asleep. And when he is woken up by the disciples, he looks at them and he says, where is your faith? Translation, why do you not trust me? Why don't you trust me? Do you really think I would let this storm overtake you? They've got a storm in their hearts. They think they're going to die. That's a big storm. That's a lot of chaos. There's a storm literally in the world right there. That's a lot of chaos. And Jesus says, why do you not trust me? Do you really think I would let anything happen to you? What is the purpose of the storm here in this passage? Right? God clearly allows a storm to happen in the disciples' life, right? The purpose of the storm, the purpose of storms in our life is an invitation by God that we would trust him. Right? If there's no storm, there's no need for trust. Right, because everything is fine. Storms, God uses storms in our life and in the world to guard us against self-sufficiency. Right, they had to go and wake up Jesus because they couldn't do it. They didn't know what to do, so they had to go get Jesus. Jesus, you're the only one who can help us. Wake up and help us. Somehow get us through. And Jesus says, yeah, that's right, but you need to believe that I can actually do it. Right, the promise of the gospel is not that there will be no storms. It's not the complete eradication of chaos in this life, but it's the eradication of hopelessness in the storm and pointlessness in the storm. 
Right? Storms are still going to come this side of the new heaven and new earth. But now Jesus says there's hope in the storm. And I'm with you in the storm. So you feel like maybe Jesus is asleep, though, in your life or in the world. He's not asleep. He's actually not asleep. He's awake. And the storms that we walk through, the storms in our life, all the chaos of our life are an invitation by Jesus that we would pursue the calmness that is his presence, that is his word. That we know we don't actually have to wake him up because he's already awake and he's with us. Storms are an invitation to seek out the calmness of Jesus in the chaos of our suffering in our life. And this is just a metaphor for the other miracles that we will see here. Jesus is a man with power over the storm and power to help us through the storms of our life. Okay, so much more could be said. We've got to keep going. Miracle number two. I'm going to read this. It's, it's a longer passage here, but it's just so good. Uh, miracle number two, verse 26. So they're still sailing. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me, for Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank in the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who'd seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear." So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over the town how much Jesus had done for him. Okay, that's a large piece of scripture there. Miracle number two. Jesus is a man with power over evil and darkness. Jesus is a man with power over evil and darkness. So this this man... Uh, has a lot of inner chaos going on. So Jesus had just come from a boat ride where there was chaos in creation and chaos in the disciples' heart. The second he shows up right on land, this man comes running at him, yelling at him. How unnerving is it when someone yells at you or you hear someone yelling? It's, it's very unnerving, very unnerving. This person is yelling at him. Uh, Jesus, son of the most, I got, what do you want with me? And Jesus, though, what is he in the storm? He's calm, doesn't raise his voice, right? doesn't shout back at the man. Just completely calm. What is your name? Right? Jesus is always calm. He always exudes calm because just the relationship he has with God. He's able to be calm here in the chaos. Well, what do we, what do we note about this man when Jesus rolls up on him? Well, if you look at um, verses 27 and, and 28, we, we note a few things about this man that are very troubling. It says in 27, for a long time, this man had not worn clothes, so he's naked. So he's, he's just running around and the garrison's naked. He doesn't live in a house, so he's homeless, but he lives in the tomb, so he lives in the graveyard. He literally lives among the dead, basically. He's like the walking dead. He's basically dead 
for all intents and purposes for the people of the town he's in. Flip over. Verse 29. Many times the demon had seized him, though he was chained hand and foot. So he's chained up so he can't get out. He can break through the chains, but he's driven by the demons in the lonely and solitary places. So the demons drive him into exile. Okay, RD, right? Intelligent thinking people don't actually believe in demons, right? This is a wonderful story about demons, but in the 21st century, we don't actually believe that demons exist, right? Okay, great, okay. The point of this story is you can get hung up on demons, you can get hung on all these things and be like, this story literally has nothing to do with my life. (laughs) I, I don't feel that demons are possessing me, right? The point of this story is that there is such a thing as evil and darkness in the world, right? And it runs through the heart of you and me, and it runs through the heart of this world. That there is a powerful enemy at work in the world. But Jesus is a man with power over the power of the enemy. This story is not just about a man with demons. It's about Jesus who has power over the evil one, over darkness, over sin. See what the evil one does to this man. He is chained. He is naked. He is homeless. He has psychological, physical, and emotional issues. The mission of the enemy, the evil one, is to steal, kill, and destroy you and your family and everything that you love. Not just to get you to lie about taking cookies from the cookie jar. (laughs) That is not the end goal of, of Satan, the enemy. His end goal is to drive you into the tomb so that even though you're alive, you're actually among the dead. And Jesus says, not so in the kingdom of God. The enemy does not have rule and reign in the coming kingdom of God. That's a winter thing. But spring has come. And so what does Jesus do? He asks the man his name. The man says legion, which is not actually his name. It's a description of a large number of troops saying that there are actually a lot of demons that live inside of me. He's got a lot of darkness and a lot of evil inside of him. And so this next part of the story I know is kind of crazy. And this is where I'm just like, you couldn't actually make this story up. Right? I mean, a large herd of pigs, the demons go into the pigs, the pigs go off the side of the, you know, I tried to figure out, why did this happen? Is there something deep with the pigs and the hill? I couldn't find an answer. So sometimes it's just not helpful to ask questions that there are no answers for. Luke doesn't give us an answer. So we can scratch our heads like, what does it even mean? You just couldn't make this up. (laughs) Right? It just had to have happened, I think. Like, it just had to, why would you make a story like this up? It had to have happened. And so there happened to be pigs nearby, which is bad news for the pigs. (laughs) Because they're about to get infected with some demons. But here's the deal, guys. Um, If evil is going to get out of the man, it has to go somewhere, right? If this man is going to have evil drawn out of him and cast out of him, the demons cast out of him, they have to be cast somewhere. They can't just go into the air. And so what Jesus does is he says, in order for these demons, for this evil, for this darkness to get out of you, it has to go in somewhere else. And so it goes into the pigs, Another reason we know this is a Gentile region, a non-Jewish region, because the pigs are there grazing. And so the pigs go over the side of the hill and they go into the abyss and they die. And Luke records that the people are like, what the heck? <laughs> like, they just saw like pigs single file just go off the hill after Jesus has just done, you know, healed this man. And so they go and gather everyone from the garrison. They're like, come check out what just happened. This Jesus guy just did this unbelievable, crazy, weird thing. We don't even know what happened. And the craziest thing of all is what they see happen to the man who was formerly demon-possessed. This is, this is the transformation that, that happened. So note in verse 36 what it says. 
Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them, right? So they're nervous and scared. Why are they nervous and scared? Because now the demon-possessed man, it says, right in front of verse 36, he is sitting at the feet of Jesus, he's dressed, and he's in his right mind. Now that's a story of grace. (laughs) We, We put his story on the screen, you'll be terrified too. Right? You'd be a little scared too. Well, this guy who's been naked, psychologically broken, physically broken, he's now sitting at the feet of Jesus. I don't, I don't think he ever sat still maybe in his whole life. But he's now still at the feet of Jesus, which is a wonderful place to be. He's actually clothed, so he's ha- he has clothes on him, which I think is more than just literal clothes, right? He's been clothed by a lot more than that. Right? And he's sitting there, and he's clothed, and he's in his right mind. And the people are like, what just... What even just happened? And so they're like, Jesus, and they're not, <laughs> I love it. They're not like, Jesus, can you heal everyone else? They're like, get out. They're like, get out. Because you're not just a man, and this scares us and terrifies us. Jesus, yes and amen, he brings calm into the chaos, but he is not afraid to bring chaos in the people who think that they're actually calm. He is not afraid to mix it up. If in mixing up and bringing chaos into your life, it will drive you to him the source of calmness, right? These people, they're just minding their own business, have a nice life by the garrisons, raising a lot of pigs. That's going to probably change now, right? In the farms, different things happening. They, yeah, they have this crazy man who lives in the tomb, but no one really cares about him. We kind of have exiled him. And Jesus says, okay, I'm going to heal this man and I'm going to make him a missionary to all of you people. And they're like, no, get, get out. But Jesus is not afraid to disrupt things. The seeming calmness of your life, just going through your life as if everything is okay and everything is good. Jesus says, no, 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 it's actually not good. It's not okay if you and I are not in a relationship together. You may think things are calm, but it's not. And I will do anything in my power, in my ability to disrupt the flow of your life so that you will have a confrontation with me. He's not afraid to mix it up if it means driving you to him. He does not create chaos in the storm for the sake of creating chaos in the storm, right? Storms exist to drive us to Jesus, the one who can conquer the storm. That's what happens here. And so the man, I love this at the end. It's very surprising. This man who's just been healed and changed, uh, verse 38, the man from whom the demons had gone out, begged Jesus to go with him. Begged him to go with him. Can you imagine? This man has just been healed and, and cured and saved, and he's thinking, I want to go with Jesus, because if I go home, if I have to go home, I'm going to be rejected probably. People are not going to love me and care for me. They're still going to look at my past and my old life. Do you think just because this man was healed by Jesus, everything was fine in this life? Or do you think he still probably fought demons the rest of his life? Do you think he still probably had struggles the rest of his life? I think he did. I think it's a, it's a great myth to say when you come to know Jesus, everything then is fine. That's a lie. When you come to know Jesus, you will still have storms. But Jesus is now with you in the storm. And so there's hope and meaning and purpose in the storm where there wasn't before. And so you would think Jesus would say, like he says to everyone, follow me, get in the boat. There's plenty of room. But he doesn't say that. What does Jesus say? He says, no, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over the town how much Jesus had done for him. The last sentence there in the Greek um, is almost, he says the same thing twice, and it's almost exactly the same, except for Luke changes two words, which would, I think, be pretty important for Theophilus and for the first century hearers. Luke says, tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over the town how much, 
Jesus had done for him. Well, that's interesting. Why doesn't he just tell how much God, Jesus said, tell how much God has done for you. And yet what Luke is saying, what, the, what this man is saying is that what Jesus does, God does. What Jesus does, God blesses. And for some of us, you're like, yeah, of course, R.D., got it. Check that box off, Theology 101. That's a massive concept, <laughs> right? If that's just like a no-brainer to you, it should not be. That this man actually claiming to be God, Luke's saying he actually is God because everything he just did is validated by God. And so this, this man who was naked and, and had all these things broken with him has now become a preacher and a missionary. And all that he is proclaiming is what Jesus has done in his life. And let me just encourage you. You may not have a theology degree, right? You, you may not be a preacher, okay? You may not know, like, exactly all the nuances of the Bible. That's great. I don't either. But if God has brought you from death to life, you have a story that you can proclaim to the world, right? And sometimes people, I hear this all the time, well, I mean, I don't have that story, right? I was a nice church kid. God saved me. You know, I wasn't that bad, and, and I just don't really have a story I feel like I can share, That is a lie from the pit of hell. You were just as dead and just as broken and just as lost as this man in the story was. And God's grace covered you just as much as he covered this man right here. Your need was just as great and God's grace was just as deep as this man's life. And so your story, if God has saved you and brought you from death to life, is glorious and is a miracle. It's a miracle that God has saved you, that God has rescued you, that God has changed you. And so don't let anyone ever tell you, oh, that's not that great of a story. It is an amazing story. And it's an invitation to anyone here. Right now, right here, you can be changed and you can be sitting at the feet of Jesus in your right mind clothed and proclaiming all that God has done for you in Jesus Christ. That's ultimately what he's done for you. That's miracle number two, that Jesus has the power over evil and darkness. And yes, there's still evil and darkness in the world, but when the second advent of Jesus comes, it will be eradicated forever. And all of us together will be sitting at the feet of Jesus in our right minds, clothed by his love and by his grace. Okay. Miracle number three. Verse 40. Actually, miracle number three is mixed in with miracle number four, but we'll just hit one at a time. Now, when Jesus returned, so this is just one day in Jesus' life. I just love it. It's, just, it's not like over multiple weeks. You think you have a busy day? Okay, it's just one day in this man's life. Thank goodness he's God. This is going to help. Now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him. They're like, where you been? For they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. Okay, that's miracle four. We'll come back to that. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And the woman who was there had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. Well, it's not exactly true. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. That's why I love Peter. He's just so honest. He's like, who even knows, Jesus? You're just in the crowd. Why are you worried about it? He just keeps it so real. He just can't understand what Jesus is even asking the question. Jesus said, someone touched me. I know power. There's the word power. Power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she touched him and how she'd been instantly healed. Then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Miracle number three shows us a man with power over disease and sickness. A man with power over disease and sickness. And I, I also ask, it would add, a man with power. 
to make you family. A man with power to make you family. Here's miracle number, number three. Jesus is on his way to see Jairus' daughter. You'd think that would be pretty important because his daughter is dying. But he's in the crowd because everyone is just around Jesus and they're pressing up against him. And all of a sudden he feels someone touch him like the edge of his robe, his cloak, and power rushes out from him. In the Greek, it's the word dynamite where we get our English word dynamite. There's an explosion of power that goes out from Jesus. And he's like, who touched me? And Peter's like, Jesus, no one, everybody touched you. Let's just keep going. All right, Peter doesn't really get it yet. And she's like, someone touched me. Someone just grabbed on to me. And what does Jesus want to do? He wants to expose the woman who touched him, not to shame her, never to shame her, not to guilt her or not to embarrass her, but to love her and to have her meet him face to face. Because it says she, she came and touched him from behind. Right. Just hoping just by grabbing him, she might be healed. Well, she was healed. But Jesus said, that's not enough. You can't just touch me and leave. Right? This is not just a private thing. It's actually a public thing. And so the woman, I love what Luke says, the woman realized she could no longer go unnoticed. And so apparently, I, I imagine a circle formed around Jesus, and the woman came up, and where did we find her? We find her on her knees in the presence of Jesus. Yeah. And I love what Luke says. Verse 47, then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. I would have loved to have known what she said. (laughs) Why? Why why did you touch me? Doesn't say what she said. Why? Why? And she proclaims to all the people why she touched Jesus. I I would think she said something like, I I believe that you could heal me. I trusted you, unlike the disciples on the boat. I, I trusted that you could heal me. That you're not just a man, you're not just a prophet, you, you are in some way God, and I trust that if I could just touch you, that I could be healed. Well, maybe she'd heard Jesus say, the spirit of the Lord is on me, because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. Maybe she said, well, I'm, I'm in a way, I'm blind, I'm oppressed, I'm bleeding, I'm broken, I'm bruised. Maybe if I touch him, that might apply to me too. And Mark, the gospel of Mark notes that this woman has gone to doctors her whole life. She's been bleeding for 12 years. So imagine that you've been bleeding, that you've been diseased. You've been sick since 2002. Seems like a long time, right? In the ancient world, if you were a dead body or you were bleeding, you were polluted and you were diseased and you were cut off from the community. And the one thing you didn't do was touch these people. And Jesus brings her out and she says, I trusted you to save me. And what does Jesus say to her? It's beautiful. Even though this woman most likely is older than Jesus, this is what he says. He says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Your faith has healed you. Go in peace. So right then and there, he makes her family. He adopts her into his family. Right, right? Even though it's weird if I were to call someone my daughter who was older than me. That would be weird, right? It's impossible. Mm. But it's not impossible if you're Jesus, right? He has made her family. Her profession of faith has brought her into the family. Like All she did was touch him. It's just a great reminder. You are not saved because of the intensity of your faith. You are saved because of the object of your faith, Jesus Christ. You can have this much faith. You can have this much faith. All that matters is who your faith is in. All you have to do is touch the fringe of his garment and you can be healed.
you can be healed. All you have to know is that Jesus Christ brings calm into the chaos, whether it's bleeding or being hurt or broken. Demons, storms, doesn't matter. All he does is bring calm into the chaos. Okay, last miracle, verse 40. Now when Jesus returned, this verse 40, and then we'll go back to it at the end. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet. We see everyone at Jesus' feet. The disciples are at Jesus' feet. The demon-possessed man is at Jesus' feet. Uh, the woman we just talked about is at Jesus' feet. Now Jairus is at Jesus' feet, on their knees. You think that knee pads might be a good investment in the kingdom of God. <laughs> because everyone is on their knees before him. Because where will everyone be one day? And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So these people are just saying, we want to bow now. <laughs> Let's do it right now. Let's not wait. Let's bow in front of his holiness right now, in his presence right now. And so Jairus, a synagogue leader, a, a, a Jewish leader, he bows before the Lord, the Messiah. And he says, could you come help me? And so in the midst of Jesus trying to go help him, he gets interrupted. Verse 49, while Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead. He said, don't bother the teacher anymore. It's easy to read through the, the scriptures and to not feel the weight of that, but some of you have heard, some of you have heard that. Right? Your daughter is dead. Your son is dead. Your mom is dead. Your dad is dead. Your best friend is dead is dead. Some of you have heard that. Probably a lot of you have heard that. Maybe in 2014, you've heard that. 2015, you may hear that. At some point in all of our lives, we will hear that from someone. Your daughter is dead. Your son is dead. Can you imagine Jairus's face? He said, why didn't you just come earlier? Why do we have to wait? Maybe you could have saved her. Right? I've done a few funerals now since I've been here, and I won't forget the faces of the people that I see as the casket would come down the aisle, just the devastation and the brokenness. And I imagine on Jairus' face, it's just his only daughter, his 12-year-old girl, is, has died. And the man who comes from Jairus' house says, your daughter is dead. Right, don't bother the teacher anymore, it's hopeless. At least let him go about his day. There's no need to bother him anymore. Hmm. Miracle number four, Jesus is a man with power over death. Jesus is a man with power over the grave. Jesus says, let's go to the house. Right? I love what Jesus, he turns to Jairus, and this is what he says. Verse 50, hearing this, Jesus said, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Just believe, trust me, and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and he said, Talitha kum, which is Aramaic. And in English, it means my child, get up. Her spirit returned and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat, which I just love. Jesus did that. Like, she's hungry. <laughs> she's been dead. Let's get her something to eat. It's time for her to eat. You know, like literally there's in Talitha kum in the Aramaic, it's this idea of a very, like a pet name almost. Jesus says, like my little girl, like honey. It's like when I wake up one of my girls from a nap, we just, we call them bug. It's like, bug, it's time to get up, right? Because death for us is just napping for Jesus. It's just sleeping. He's like, it's not a big deal, but we can get up now. Give her something to eat. She can go about her life, right? Jesus has power over the grave. Jesus has power over death. 
as a way to illustrate this, it's a story that I love. I've told it, I told it about two years ago, but I love it so much that I'm going to tell it again. I think it illustrates the power that Jesus has over death. Uh, what, what sleeping is and versus what actual death is. And it's the story of Donald Gray Barnhouse, who was a pastor at 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. And he had a wife and four children, and his wife tragically passed away um, when uh, his kids were still very young. And his youngest daughter, Margaret, who was six years old at the time, just was broken and couldn't understand why this had happened, why mom had died. And so uh, a few months after mom had passed away, tragically died, um, they were, uh, Donald and his daughter, Margaret, were walking in New York City. And they're on the sidewalk, and all of a sudden he hears his daughter scream out. And he looks, and he sees um, that uh, a bus was coming on the street, and it wasn't that close to her, but the shadow of the bus went over her. You know, and that could be scary if you're a little girl. And the shadow of this big bus in New York City kind of overtakes you. And she thought the bus was going to overtake her, but it, it wasn't the bus, it was the shadow of the bus. And in that moment, he got an idea to help explain to her what actually happened to mom. And he said this, he said, Margaret, do you know how sad we are about mommy? And she said, yes. We're really, really sad about mommy. He said, did the bus hit you? She said, no. He said, what, what hit you? Well, only the shadow of the bus hit you. He said, well, death actually didn't hit your mom. Only the shadow of death hit your mom. He said, well, that's actually not so bad. Because the shadow cannot actually kill you. Right? Death hit one man. The bus hit one man. And because death hit Jesus, if you and I are in him, we will hear him say to all of us, Talitha Kum, get up. Because in the shadows, we're only sleeping, waiting for the final trumpet to sound. We will be raised to life in Jesus Christ. That's a miracle. Right? All of these are miracles. And they're about one great miracle. I love how C.S. Lewis, as always, the man himself puts it. He says this, it'll be on the screen. Miracles are a retelling in small letters of the very same story, which is written across the whole world in letters too large for some of us to see. I'll read that again. It's, it's dense, but I think it's so good. Miracles are a retelling in small letters of the very same story, which is written across the whole world in letters too large for some of us to see. What is C.S. Lewis saying? He's saying these miracles in Luke chapter 4, the calming of the storm, the healing of the demon-possessed man, the woman who was um, bleeding, uh, the, the, the young girl who was raised to life, all of these miracles are just shadows. They're just little pictures of the one great miracle, like the ultimate miracle that allows all of these other miracles to even happen, to even exist. There's one miracle from eternity past to eternity future. And what is that great and glorious miracle? Well, it's simply this, right? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. A light has now shined in the darkness. Christmas is the great miracle that allows all the miracles in the Gospel of Luke to even happen, that allows all the miracles in your life to even happen. All of these miracles are not just about people's lives being transformed, though yes and amen, that happens. They're ultimately about Jesus, the one who transforms a life. And they say, we can trust him. We can know him in the storms, in the pain, in the darkness. We can actually trust him. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the one, the only one who walks into the middle of the great storm of your and my sin and God's wrath so that our hearts can be put at rest in his presence forever and we can have peace. 
Right? Jesus Christ is the one who says to the forces of evil and darkness and sin, come out of all men and all women and come into me and drive me to the abyss of the cross. Not down the hill, but up the hill to Golgotha so that you and I can be clothed and sit at his feet proclaiming how much God has done for us. Jesus is the one who invites the broken and the bleeding and the bruised, all of us, to touch him so that his power might be transferred to us and we can hear him say, my son, my daughter, go in peace. Your faith has healed you. And now the Holy Spirit lives in us and we have power. Jesus is the one who not only died for us, yes and amen, but who was raised for us so that in his rising, if we are in his grip, like the little girl was, we will hear him say, my child, arise and eat at the table prepared for you in the kingdom of God. All of the miracles in these stories are ultimately about Jesus, the great miracle that God took on flesh, that he walked among us, he lived among us, that the word of God became killable. And he, he didn't just be born, he didn't just live for us, that he died for us and he rose for us. And so now you and I have the ability to see miracles in our life, that you and I can be raised to life, that we can be healed, that diseases, they can be broken, right? These things can happen. There can be miracles because spring has broken through right into the middle of winter. And now the clock is ticking on death and evil and darkness and pain. And so the clock is ticking for the advent to come. And Jesus says, you may still have chaos in this life. Guys, 2015 can be a year filled with chaos. But I've got good news. I've got gospel news. Jesus still reigns. Jesus still rules. Jesus is on the throne. That's what kind of man he is. He's not just a man. He is the son of God declared in power. That's Romans chapter 1. He is a powerful son of the living God. He's not asleep. And the question he asks you and I is, do you trust me? He says, do not be afraid. Arise and proclaim to the whole world how much I have done for you. What what man is this? This, this is Christ the king whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him laud. Jesus Christ, the very son of almighty God. Let's pray. Our father, almighty maker of heaven and earth, we thank you for Jesus Christ declared to be the son of God with power. He is the one with power over the storm. He is the one with power over the evil one. He is the one with power over disease. He is the one with power over death. He is the one who brings calm into the chaos of our life. We long for his advent to come when he will conquer the storm forever and end the reign of evil and darkness forever, eliminate sickness and disease forever, and raise us to body life with you forever. Ours the cross, the grave, and the skies. Father, help us trust you. Help us love you. Help us to proclaim to a longing, chaotic, broken world the story of Christmas, that we could not come to you, and so you came to us through the birth of your son. It's in the name of this son and by his power, that we ask all of these things and far more. And all of God's people said, amen.